The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Happy Thursday night. Another gamer. Actual NBA basketball to discuss here. No gimmicky rankings or mocks or salary cap stuff on this podcast. It's all just hardcore NBA basketball. Let's start with Jazz Nuggets. Really, the Jazz controlled this game from the outset, Danny. Well, yeah, they especially controlled it at the outset. Denver had a absolutely disastrous start to the game offensively. They missed their first 10 three-pointers. I think they had eight turnovers either in the first quarter or close to it. So Utah went out, but but still, Denver led 22-19 to 19 at, after the first quarter. But I, I thought the Jazz played a lot better. You know, they had that big 33-15 uh, to 15 second quarter, and that's when they built the lead that largely, largely held through the rest of the game. And something that I thought I thought was, was a challenge for the Jazz, and and as a, as a worthwhile place to start here, it was something that you tweeted about during the game, is the Jazz dealing with being a little bit shorthanded in terms of their guard rotation, and that, that had some consequences. Well, the Jets have done well when Donovan Mitchell has been the primary ball handler and has started at point guard, and he had another efficient game in this one, although until he scored six straight points late, that wasn't quite the case, but 24 points for him four of eight from downtown had five assists but i thought the other guy who really stepped up because grayson allen did not have a particularly impressive game was joe ingles joe ingles only four out of 12 and two of nine from three but 10 assists and really the nuggets did not have an answer for him running pick and roll perhaps that answer should have been to make him shoot it a little bit more since he only took three two-point attempts in the entire game but really they were the nuggets were absolutely scuffling defensively with Jokic. they're trying to have him lay back but they weren't really reaping the benefits that you normally have of someone laying back because they were still having someone tag the roll man and Gobert favors those guys have a lot of gravity going to the rim and so Ingles going to his left he's able to throw that left-handed pass to the far corner and between Mitchell and Ingles diming guys up the Jazz were able to get 43 three-point attempts up including 10 three-point attempts for Kyle Cover, and that's just negligent defense to give up 10 three-point attempts in 22 minutes to one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time in Cal Corver. Many of those very, very open look. And that gets into what I think is the most important thing to discuss with this game. And Denver's defense has been a, a, something that I've been fascinated with all year. They've been, at, at moments, they've been better than I expected. You know, when Millsap was out, they, they were worse, but then the, the overall numbers have, have been solid. But Denver, we know they're in the rarefied air. They're going to be one of the top seeds in the Western Conference, whatever number that ends up being if it's you know one two or three and they're going to be facing really good opposition and i don't know with their personnel if even if they had this you know magic 
system that maximized the guys that they have. What concerns me is I don't think there is a magic system that would allow them to be good enough to slow down the best attacks. Because Utah is not the best attack. They, you know, they have some really nice moments, but I, 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 that part of Denver, you know, the stress testing, I think is going to be a big problem. Yeah. And they really just, they didn't have an answer for what to do to Jokic or, or with Jokic, I should say, defensively when they did get back into the game, probably their best stretch other than that huge flurry late when they finally made some threes was when Jokic got his fifth foul on what was a very good call in the third quarter trying to hook his arm underneath Rudy Gobert and we can talk about how amazing Gobert was defensively in this game in a moment but they brought Plumlee out and while I thought they were still a little bit overly frenetic they were really having Plumlee get out on the floor and attack and when it's Ingles as it was for a lot of that period maybe you don't need to trap it it's kind of the same thing as we saw with OKC last year where they're giving up a bunch of threes to the Jazz when the Jazz ball handlers weren't really that threatening Rubio was out in this game with a hamstring Neto was out again with the hamstring both those guys have uh, really struggled with those injuries but they were trapping at the point of attack giving up some open threes but there's just so much energy and finesse so I thought that Wancher Hernan Gomez although he failed to score gave them some good minutes defensively as well during that period they're able to change the game get a few turnovers get some defensive rebounds and push it down the jazz throats otherwise it really looked very difficult for them when they couldn't get out in transition another observation i had too is that the nuggets are really vulnerable themselves in transition because if you get a guy going downhill Jokic, unlike a lot of centers isn't going to be able to once a guy gets ahead of steam at him actually protect the rim in transition and so if guys can just even get a little bit of a shoulder usually with your center back in the lane guys aren't going to attack the basket in transition they'll just pull it out and run something but the jazz who again don't have like the greatest transition finishers in the nba were able to go right at Jokic a a number of times in transition but I, i think we should also and then there was one play i tweeted out at Nate Duncan NBA, for some reason you don't follow me, uh, of Jokic just getting absolutely traffic coned by Mitchell at the end of the game as, as the Nuggets were threatening to get back into contact. And he, yeah, he was on five fouls, but it's just, again, I he just doesn't have the quickness. And I think he's improved a lot. He tries hard. He's smart. He's got good hands, but just the physical limitations are too much against the best teams. And as you mentioned, Utah, not even necessarily one of the best teams. But can we talk a little bit about this Jazz defense, like how nasty they were in this game? Whew. I mean, top to bottom, I thought that a lot of guys did a really good job. And and also there was, of course, some Denver missing shots. Like there's a crazy, crazy stat from this game that Derek favors. They, I think the defensive rating when favors was on the floor, because he overlapped, you know, they do it differently with Gobert. The defensive rating with favors was like a 78 which is wild. But, you know, the Isaiah was, I think, one for six from the two. Isaiah was two for six. Monte Morris was one for six from the field. But Gobert was absolutely monstrous. Not only, you know, blocking four shots, grabbing defensive rebounds and, you know, being a part of overall defensive rebounds, though Denver grabbed 16 offensive rebounds. But just he's a like, I mean, he's a great example of the impact of a big man in terms of altering shots and affecting things, even when it doesn't count as a block. Well, I thought his one-on-one defense against Jokic was outstanding and Jokic had five turnovers a couple of those were offensive fouls did have six offensive boards but that was really the only way his individual offense was working in this one I would have liked to maybe see them spread it out 
a little bit more. They also went with, at times, Favors guarding Jokic and Gobert guarding Millsap. Millsap doesn't really space the floor at this point in his career, so they're able to help off of him, share the burden a little bit. But when Jokic tried to go at Gobert, Gobert had that nasty block on him late that was a, a goaltend that, or at least called a goaltend initially, and then it was overturned. Refs probably get a little aggressive on those. I mean, that was clearly a good block, and because it was close, the refs called it, because if you don't call it, then you can't review it. And some Nuggets fans were carping that will barton was open for a three off the the ricochet although when the whistle occurred all the jazz guys stopped at that point so i don't don't know how accurate that criticism is but nonetheless and finally Jokic got like this crazy hook shot to go but he had to arc it so high over gobert and it really was just an outstanding game and gobert also had a a number of dunks offensively as well and other than that stretch when they were able to get out and transition and then that frantic comeback towards the end the nuggets looked out of sorts offensively the entire evening they did and i mean i something that i've pointed to for years is the quality of shots that teams are getting and you know they're the, it's a make or miss league there are times when the team that gets worse shots doesn't doesn't you know makes a bunch of them and they end up still winning the game but i thought by and large utah was getting better looks than denver you know there were stretches that were different and they they got to the line 33 times in this game denver got their 24 24 is a lot but 33 that's an extra extra nine possessions that's an extra nine shots at the line there and Corver's threes are obviously a huge part of that you know not only is that getting open threes but getting open threes by a guy who just absolutely rails those and I that's a concern you know when you're the home team and you're trying to be engaged and all that kind of stuff you you want to at least win that battle and then if if so if the other team just happens to make more of them then so be it yeah and while it was 16 of 43 three-point shooting for the Jazz and yeah you could say they missed a lot of open ones Tabo Cephalosha hit probably three of the biggest three-pointers in the second quarter as the Jazz actually staked out to that double-digit lead that they basically didn't relinquish thereafter. So those were huge. Cephalosha plus 16 in his 12 minutes, not known for necessarily being a three-point bomber with that sundial timed release. But to give up 43 three-point attempts and to give up 31 points combined to Favors and Gobert, including 19 free throw attempts to those guys. And usually, you know, when it's big guys like that getting fouled, those are like real fouls. That isn't like bullshit foul drawing out on the perimeter, you know, knowing the tricks. That's like they're getting the ball right under the basket and you got to foul them type of plays. So yeah, the the Nuggets defense, I, I thought was not good in this game against, you know, it was a very limited jazz offense. I mean, Royce O'Neal had to play 40 minutes in this game, for example. Well, so, something, something yeah. I want to bring up is I, I cracked up in the comments on your, on what you said about Jokic, somebody brought up, well, they're like, oh, well, that's why they have Mason Plumlee. And that's true. You know, Mason Plumlee, I, I thought that he had some better defensive moments, but there are also shortcomings there. I mean, he he has to be, you know, defended differently and that, that it can sometimes condense. Yeah, you're not going to take the top 10, a top 10 player this season right. out of the game. And, and so, or, or are you going to pull Paul Millsap for Mason Plumlee? Like you get into all this stuff and that's the whole point of like thinking about whether a team is viable in the playoffs is can their players stick? Can they, can they match up when the talent level and the intensity ramps up significantly and we haven't seen this Denver team go through that it's it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see them in the playoffs last year they just barely missed out but my my inclination is that when they face the best of the best that's going to be a big challenge for them and it's it's not certain I, you know there there are teams that can step up earlier in their tenure and even even 
and young teams that have done that. I mean, but uh, that's something that it's going to be hard for me to shake, even if they 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 played good teams well in the regular season. There's all, all all these other positive signs, but then you have games like this, and there's a reason why it generally takes teams a little while to figure all this stuff out. Yeah, Denver can certainly play better than they played today. Oh, absolutely. Thought, oh, yeah. I and that, yeah, go ahead. Well, and they played. They didn't. Pl- I thought they didn't play particularly well, and they still only lost by seven. Like you know, there there are things that you can take away from that. If another team outplays you and you still keep it close, and they have amazing individual talent, like this is not like a sky is falling thing for the Denver Nuggets. It shouldn't be that at all. Yeah, and I, I mean, I thought Malik Beasley had a number of errors on the perimeter. They are a worse defensive team, though. I mean, t- Tory Craig only played two minutes in this game and while i'm not going to argue that he should be starting over will barton who had himself a a nice third quarter with 21 points played 38 minutes he he looks to be back from uh, as much as you'd expect from that uh groin injury but they miss craig defensively you know or they miss the size that wancho was giving them at the three to have that other guy who can be at least somewhat of a presence at the room you're starting barton beasley and murray and you know harris is on a minutes limit we'll see whether he uh, eventually supplies Lance Beasley played 23 minutes in this one. It's just, it's going to be tough with Jokic at center and three small guards, uh, really only one pedigreed defender in Millsap in your starting lineup. And they can play a lot better offensively too. I think Jokic only had one three-point attempt in this one that trying to pull Gobert away from the rim might be something that they should try a little bit more. I thought that they, Jokic was almost trying to post up a little bit too much against Gobert. And Gobert has really improved, by the way, getting out on the floor as well. That's something that's a really underrated part of his game um anything else on this one yes one thing i want to talk about briefly teams that haven't really gone into the fire you i i take probably a little too much into the the clutch situations they have in the judgment and so there was a play in this that drove me crazy jamal murray you know they're down six with 30 seconds to go drives into the lane gets fouled but it was going for a two so then he he split the free throws and then they had to foul and then i think ingles made both and then the next time down they're down seven they're down seven because they lost a point on that exchange and they do it again and so you're sitting there going okay the chances of winning were extremely low in the first place but whether it's coaching or the players executing the plan it's always hard to know which one of those it is yeah have to be ready for those circumstances because even if it's maximizing a two percent chance of winning or whatever it would be you i that that's important because if, if you don't maximize it then it goes down to one or zero yeah the other note that i had as well is just how utterly useless and superfluous isaiah thomas is on this team i mean i guess they probably promised him that he was going to play they didn't know that monte morris was going to emerge this way they probably feel like they have to at least give him a shot but 11 minutes negative 10 two out of six i mean i don't think he's playing selfishly but he's another small guard in the perimeter and morris you know he struggled a little bit but there are minutes that they played isaiah and no monte morris on the second unit and monte morris is just so much better than isaiah is going to be at this point in time sad as that is to say of course um and i mean you've got jamal murray and barton and beasley and harris i mean all those guys this is a team that hasn't necessarily had to play with the traditional point guard all the time but to give isaiah thomas 11 minutes when you've got basically five superior options who aren't playing as many minutes as they could be playing it seems like relatively foolhardy to me 
before we move on i'm going to tell you about the no chill podcast hosted by gilbert arenas i probably had no chill by saying that it was foolhardy to play isaiah uh well gilbert is uh, <laughs> a little bit more in that direction than i am the no chill podcast is all nba all opinion and always with no chill gilbert is one of the most dynamic personalities in the nba made a name for himself lighting up scoreboards and holding the record for most points scored in the staples center by a visiting player i think i remember that game actually i want to say he had i think it was 54 he also had like 60 that season but i want to say that was against the suns in each hour-long episode of the no shield podcast gill and his co-host mike botticello continue to light it up with top guests like kevin durant nick young matt barnes ice cube and many more coming soon hear their unique raw and unfiltered perspectives on the game who's playing it personalities involved and everything in between they'll also dig into hot topics trends and burning questions the no chill podcast is available everywhere you get your podcasts hear new episodes every monday or listen a day early on himalaya all right i want to talk some about a game that everyone's probably going to chafe about i got a couple of comments when i was tweeting about it like why are you possibly subjecting yourselves to this but i actually thought there's a lot to be learned from this game i was glad i turned it on Cavs 125 knicks 118 Cavs outscored the knicks 40 to 21 in the fourth quarter knicks blew a nine point lead in the last five minutes of the game kevin love really dominated in this one 28 minutes i think this is the first game that he has actually closed for the Cavs. we even saw a little bit of love at center and just given some of the young guys both on his team and more importantly on the knicks he's just playing a different game mentally than everyone else in this one except maybe matthew delvadova 26 points for love 11 of 11 from the foul line only 12 field goal attempts and plus 17 so good to see him back and playing relatively well coming off of that toe injury here so that that was my biggest takeaway is that he uh looked pretty good at least you know against relatively substandard opposition both in stature and experience he was one of a couple of Cavs veterans that i thought had had solid gains in in one capacity or another jordan clarkson had 22 in 29 minutes uh, including a massive five point trip down the floor where he basically what happened was he got a steal and broke past Alonzo Trier. Trier fouled him before Clarkson took the shot, which meant that it was a clear path foul. So Clarkson made both those free throws. And then on the ensuing possession, Colin Sexton drove, kicked it to the, kicked it to the corner. Nice pass. And Clarkson drilled the three. And I think that five point possession turned it from like a one point deficit to a four point lead or something in that vicinity. Yeah, that that was basically it. And I thought Sexton was the other story with 22 points on 15 field goal attempts. Still only had three assists, but we were critical of him in the 15 and 60. And when I watched all the film of him, usually when I watch it on Synergy, I'll just put it on random so that I'm not going to be overweighting recent performances when I'm trying to get a sense of a guy's whole season. And the big criticism that I had of him was he's driving into traffic and just throwing up crap against opposition that he has no chance of making the shot at the rim. And a couple of times in this game, he got in the air, was about to get blocked and threw the pass out and that one to Clarkson for really what was the clinching three uh, was an example of that where he was a little bit more judicious uh, around the rim uh, so that was encouraging I thought he showed a lot of burst as well he hustled he got some key loose balls 
push it down the Knicks throats uh, to some degree as well so a solid game for Sexton and yeah you'd still like to see more assists it's very interesting that he's starting in the backcourt with Brandon Knight another guy who really was never a huge assist guy and in fact had zero assists in this game although Knight did have nine points he shot it a little bit better uh, as a Cavalier actually has been like pretty respectable in the seven games that, that he's played now um but yeah this was a, a look at what hopefully Sexton can be for this Cavs team if things go well for him on the Knicks side it was another game that you know like you're kind of sitting there going well okay how do we look at this moving forward for them because so many players on this team are pending free agents a lot of them pending unrestricted free agents like no Vonley's an example Vonley 16 points 7 to 7 from the field and 10 rebounds in just 22 minutes so I, I thought the Vonley looked he looked comfortable out there on the floor I still am far more interested intellectually in the Knicks big man bench players because Mitchell Robinson and Ellenson put up his second consecutive 13 point game this one was on four of ten from the field so it wasn't as it wasn't as kind of impressive well, yeah, I mean he was five of eleven last time too I mean, he, oh that's right I was thinking I, I was thinking yeah. it was five of eight yeah you're right yeah. it was five of eleven yeah and he was three of five uh, on three pointers mm-hmm. that means he was one of five on Tuesday and uh, the Knicks broadcast it was funny you know Clyde was marveling man wow he really and Mike Breen like man he handles the ball so well for guys that he's played 27 minutes in this game and yeah he does it's really impressive like how smooth he looks out there at his size but he just doesn't do any of the big man things and he doesn't really score inside at all so eventually the impressiveness and his smoothness ends up kind of being empty calories sometimes his jump shots are going to go in and and you know if he can continue to shoot it really well on threes it's possible that he could have some value they signed him actually to a rest of season contract or or will sign him to a rest of season contract with a team option that's where they're going with all these so they can decline those team options and hopefully re-sign some of these guys after the year given their free agent aspirations i thought alonzo trier had a pretty decent game offensively like he is one of the things that really impresses me is how aggressive he is pushing the ball in transition this is a Cavs team with absolutely zero rim protection and so he was able to take advantage of that to the tune of 22 points um mitchell robinson had a couple of blocks on three-pointers early and then the Cavs smartly started pump faking getting him in the air and beating him you know he still has a long way to go as far as his defensive intelligence so a very exciting player to watch and you know he'll definitely get guys who aren't prepared for his ability to cover ground and block threes but the Cavs were able to adjust pretty well and beat him there um Kevin Knox really struggled especially down the end he did hit a couple of floaters as they were trying to hold the Cavs off but then the dam broke and and between Knox and Dennis Smith they really were had some ugly periods where they're just dribbling around aimlessly not getting good shots like at one point Dave Fisdale had to just call a timeout with five on the shot clock because they just weren't able to get into anything at all after they were kind of reeling from that five point play or five point possession I should say from Clarkson Smith I thought during the meat of the game had some good plays was under control I'd like to see him get to the basket a little bit more nine of his 13 shots were three-pointers and he's he's pretty iffy on those but eight assists I thought he would just did a nice job of making the simple pass on time and on target just catching guys leaning the long the wrong way so the Knicks uh, could get an open three that sort of thing defense wasn't good but uh you know that's par for the course with him most of the time unless he's kind of in a one-on-one matchup I, I cracked up I 
I, I can't remember when I flipped to it. I think it might have been in the third quarter. There was a play when Kevin Love got the ball at the top of the key, and I saw Mitchell Robinson breaking hard for him, but I just immediately said, oh, I know exactly where this is going. Kevin Love does the pump fake. Mitchell Robinson flies in a million miles an hour, and Kevin Love gets the three-shot foul, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's how that that's how that's going to go. And Mitchell Robinson, once he can harness you know all of the physical gifts that he has, I mean, he's already a, a, like a, an impactful defensive player, and once you can kind of soften those edges, I mean, he's 20 years old, but you're going to have to do that. And how he takes to coaching, I mean, it's, maybe you could argue it's the most important job that Fisdale and his coaching staff has to do over the next three years in terms of player development is if they can get Mitchell Robinson to bite on fewer pump fakes. Because if he can do that, if he can avoid the JaVale McGee trap, he could be an awesome, awesome player. Like he, like he can be fun without that, but he can be much better if he can just tone that down. Yeah, he could get better on the defensive glass as well. And I'd like to see what he looks like moving his feet laterally. He'll cover a lot of ground in a straight line. Haven't seen what he looks like actually trying to get down into a stance and move his feet. A little bit more from the Cavs perspective, uh, Jenny Osman has played well of late. He had another extremely efficient game, 21 points, three of four from three, even as coming off some screens, shooting jump shots, had five assists. So he's looking like he could eventually mature into a starter level of player. I've been getting some tweets about, hey, what do you think of Marquise Chris uh, on the Cavs? This wasn't the game to watch him. Negative 14, 05 in 13 minutes and uh not a ton of great defense uh, either and i think that's all i've got oh i on have this one yeah, i have yeah, one other small thing this pushes cleveland to two games ahead of the knicks in the wins column now a team can make that up the knicks had just won two consecutive so you, you can get there but we'll we'll see you know like the, the margins feel a little bit bigger and even though the incentives are not nearly as robust as they have been in previous years there is a meaningful difference between the second best lottery odds and the third in terms of expected value of the pick so we'll keep an eye on it nothing is definitive cleveland has beaten new york twice in the last like two and a half weeks so we'll keep an eye on it yeah Cavs. i mean they're been respectful i think they're like right. six and nine in their last well, 15 and, now, and that's so. having kevin love just just adds so much yeah. intelligence and talent and so they're they can handle like these teams that don't have it together as much just so much easier when he's on the floor yeah. and del vadova when he's available is a capable steward you know like he can he can create looks for other guys and everything else and also sexton is playing meaningfully better too so yeah i mean and with the bulls also winning immediately in front of the Cavs, they might even have a little depending on how this goes they might even have a little bit more runway to win and not affect their not affect their lottery odds at all yeah and atlanta as well oh yeah been winning of late uh two worst defensive teams in the nba no surprise that despite the limited offenses 130 and 122 offensive ratings in this one let's hit a little news here before we do some quick hitters uh, on the rest of the games for the lakers lonzo ball will be reevaluated again in a week he's got a bone bruise in his ankle in addition to what was diagnosed as a grade three sprain and we were initially skeptical of the four to six week timetable because grade three sprain and that usually ends up being a two-monther if not more than that remember reggie jackson i want to say it was last year had a grade three sprain as well and then lebron james 
to Chris Haynes reacting to criticism of his defense by saying that teams have the freedom to attack him at any time and James Clue was talking about one-on-one where he probably remains a pretty good defender and he's he'll actually snap out of his reverie and and play some defense if someone tries to go at it one-on-one but I mean teams are going at him all the time when with these this lineup that LA is playing with no center and he you know it's not a one-on-one matchup it's his help responsibilities it's his closeouts and teams are having plenty of success going at him it's just not one-on-one so there's kind of a meaningless statement from James that yeah you know there's no reason to go at the guy you know especially because he's guarding larger players at this point go at the guy who's you know one of the strongest guys on the court when you know it's more by just running your offense and making him execute his help responsibilities that you're able to get good look yeah i mean it's it it, I, it feels kind of rich i didn't watch the whole lakers memphis game but i mean there were some absolutely horrendous possessions in the late part of that and and there's a threat assessment element too like okay you can, if there's a guy who's not particularly good if you let him get ahead of steam going to the basket then he's going to have a better chance of success and there were a few just awful plays like that Good news for Marvin Bagley. We're concerned with his knee issue. Sprained left knee for him, so he's going to be reevaluated in one to two weeks. So that was a, a scary injury where he had to be helped off the floor. But good to see that it's hopefully nothing particularly serious. I mean, we're getting to the point now in the year where you wonder about a guy coming back. Is he going to, even with a shorter timetable like this, and remember this is reevaluation. That's the new buzzword these last couple of years. Not, they don't tell you, how long the guy's actually supposed to be out for uh but just when he's going to be reevaluated so usually you can add a couple of weeks on top of that and we'll see where the kings are at now when he returns and how they're feeling about rushing him back i mean i think he actually was playing well enough that you can argue he was helping them but also bielitsa has kind of been mothballed and, and he had played pretty well this season so i don't think it's going to be a huge drop off the kings are just going to have to play a little bit differently and, and harry giles is going to get a chance to, to be the main backup center now Willie Cauley-Stein will probably play more again at the end of games. And Corey Brewer has signed with the Kings for the remainder of the season. Are they paying him? Yeah, they're paying him $2 million bucks for the yeah, rest the, of the year. The Kings had, they had money available. They used, I believe they used their cap space, but still had an exception yeah remaining. they've got they've got their room exception still yeah left. yeah because they signed bielitsa and and yogi farrell using cap space so that i mean there appears that there was whether it was a bidding war or just an intensity war because i don't know how much capacity other teams had to offer but brewer chose to stay in sacramento it seems like he was happy there but also they offered two million dollars that certainly helps and we'll, we'll see how much he plays i mean sacramento now they're they're a they're they're a differently constructed team now with harrison barnes there and now we'll see if bielitsa plays but jaeger has something in front of him and the kings have real stakes now for the final what's called six weeks of the season all right we'll do a little bit of lightning ronda on some of the other games tonight try and touch on just about all of them but i want to tell you about goat.com first the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers online authentic yeezys jordans and over six hundred thousand sneaker listings i got some pretty nice kamikaze twos which are the shoe that sean kemp wore got some nice compliments on that when i wore it to a game at or were them to a game i should say a couple months ago they only accept sellers with the best reputation and they verify all sneakers to ensure their authenticity i I had this call with them before they're going to come on the show and they're telling me that jordans have a certain smell 
that their experts can differentiate when they're authentic and they inspect every detail the stitching the color size and weight and they certify that every pair of sneakers on their site matches exact factory specifications and you're not going to find better prices for verified 100 authentic sneakers anywhere else the way to get started with them is goat.com goat.com slash cap space that's goat.com slash cap space check them out before the sneakers you're looking for are gone once again that's goat.com slash cap space let me know if that slash cap space url that you came from us i'll give you the floor here since you caught a, a bit more of some of these other games I, I focused on the aforementioned two a little bit more yeah so we can talk about i think the place to start here is with warriors magic orlando got a big 103 96 win completing a bizarre trio of games for them where they won in toronto then lost to the knicks and then won against the Warriors. And I thought that Orlando generally did a a good job defensively. The Warriors played without Kevin Durant and Andre Guadalla, so they were forcing tough shots and basically acknowledging that there were only a couple of of Warriors that were going to beat them. McKinney in the starting lineup just didn't really do a whole heck of a lot. And it was was interesting because Vooch didn't have anything close to his best game. You know, it was 4 or 15 from the field, but they got contributions from all over the floor. I thought DJ Augustine did really nice work on both ends of the floor he blocked two Steph Curry threes from behind which is very unusual and very unusual for Augustine in particular he's not 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 saying he's not a high block guy I think it's overstating it by a little bit and so they got you know solid performances overall Terrence Ross had a nice stretch I think that was in the second quarter and it also broke something I completely had not caught this but Connor Letourneau had this that the Warriors had won 21 consecutive games when Stephen Curry played and Kevin Durant did not and it looked like after a run that they had in the third quarter, they went 30, it was 30-11 in the third quarter, that, that streak was going to continue for a 22nd game. Durant was rested, to be clear, not, it wasn't anything like, you know, he was hurt or anything. Yeah. And, and, and Iguodala didn't play due to illness. Correct. And so, so but, but it was, you know, the high, high usage Stephen Curry game, 12 of 33 from the field, 17 three-pointers. Clay also took 23 shots. And part of that is because other than Cousins, they don't have a lot of other guys that can even ramp up, that can scale up usage. You know, Draymond Green doesn't really want to do that. Alfonso McKinney doesn't really want to do that. Jarebko, Jordan Bell actually gave them for the second straight night some pretty good minutes. So I thought that Orlando did a nice job of kind of concentrating in the shots to me that Curry and Thompson got were you know worse than worse than their usual partially due to the increase in volume that's why when a a player improves or even keeps their efficiency the same when they up uptick in usage it's always impressive so yeah i thought it was a a solid overall win for orlando improves their standing in the overall playoff picture and tying in with the piece i wrote for demarcus cousins at the athletic earlier in the week this was another game when the warriors defense was materially worse when cousins was on the floor compared to when he was off he was better in the third quarter quarter when they went on that big run but in the fourth the magic were going after him a lot they were whether it was Vooch or more often another player that was benefiting from that and when Jordan Bell was on the floor the Warriors were more active defensively and even being shorthanded they still defended well but then Kerr went back to Cousins in crunch time and that was part of what included them hemorrhaging points late so you know not a big deal for golden state but worth keeping an eye on yeah at this point in time it's not realistic to expect kerr to actually
essentially close game with Jordan Pell over DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, completely agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a decision he had to make, especially with Iguodala unavailable. But, you know, it's, it's worth keeping an eye on because there will be other points where he has to make a similar decision and he will have more cover, but he's going to have to do it. Yeah, I mean, if it's Andre Iguodala, finals MVP, former All-Star, you can get away with that a little bit more. And I'm sure that's something that was discussed with DeMarcus when he was signed. If it's Jordan Pell, who, you know, might give them better better chance to win, even in this game without uh, Kevin Durant and Iguodala available, then it's just not going to fly in the regular season. And th- they're trying to work DeMarcus in and see what he can do and hopefully get enough out of him in the playoffs. And I thought offensively, he looked better in this game. He, his touch around the rim is starting to come back. We, I think he's getting used to the new reality as far as how athletic he is and is scoring with a little bit more touch, not having the same explosion necessarily around the basket as he used to. But the three-pointer has not worked out for him after going three of four in his first game he's basically like been 20 percent or so since then so he's going to need to make those shots that was part of the advertised package hopefully that will come along for him he's been around in 35 36 percent and uh, slater had this stat that i think about 80 percent of his three-pointers have come without a defender within six feet of him just wide wide open shots so we'll see i mean you mentioned that uh, i think he's hurting them more on offense or, or on defense than he's helping them on offense so far and we'll see whether that continues or not but i think basically so far this is experiment has been almost exactly as we predicted it would be in the summer that he wasn't really going to make that big of a difference for this team after the initial excitement of having him back wore off let's talk a little magic here what did you think of john isaac's game getting a chance to, to focus in on him 12 points six of eight negative 13 i didn't see much of of his run he was able to take advantage of the massive size advantage he had on alfonso mckinney early and that was a big part of i, I think he had yeah he had six points in the first quarter i thought that was when he looked the best yeah. offensively but by and, the way i think i think is the bloom off the mckinney rose now at, oh at this it, point? It, I mean, I, it damn I well mean. better it damn well better be if it, if it isn't i mean especially because his defensive limitations are very very prominent i mean he can't yeah. stick with he can't stick with guards he's too you know he's he's a defensive tweener in basically every matchup you know he's he's not fast enough for the small guys he's not strong enough for the big guys and he's not a good enough offensive player other than rebounding to you know kind of fill in the other gap so not you know like not a bad guy to have on your roster sure i mean if you're gonna have you know as your 13th or 14th guy there's not much of a problem there but asking him to be like the possibility of him being a rotation player in the playoffs is way too much of an ask yeah i I don't foresee that that's gonna happen i mean i isaac just got to his spots like he basically treated treated mckinney like tissue paper yeah i mean mckinney now is 29 out of 84 35 percent from three on the season and that has been trending downward substantially he does remains a great rebounder 10 percent offensive rebounds does add a nice element for this team especially because he'll look to kick it out to the three-point shooters that he often plays with but yeah I, I, i'm not expecting him to be able to contribute in the playoffs due to those weaknesses you mentioned uh but it's good to see isaac being aggressive and attacking there aaron gordon also his game has to be mentioned was able to get on the offensive glass for the 
the clinching tip in um also demarcus another reason why he doesn't fit in that well with the warriors is he just commits these dumb fouls he had a huge over the backbreaker after the warriors missed the three he got the offensive rebound with about a minute left went for a hook shot that missed and then just committed a stupid foul just like clock gordon in the head or no i'm sorry it was terrence ross and ross hit a couple of free throws they're down five with a minute left and you know in a very poor position at that at that time uh ross was able to get free for some big threes in the fourth the Warriors actually led by 13 early in the fourth Ross got some wide open looks in transition Sean Livingston another guy did not have a a great game for the Warriors but the Nuggets also lost and that helps the the Warriors in their quest for the number one seed but it doesn't look like they're going to be threatening the Bucs and perhaps even Toronto for a potential home court in the NBA finals Uh, anything else on the, the magic in this one it's a, a really nice feather in their cap in terms of the move to try to get a playoff spot. I mean, these are the types of games yeah. that a team doesn't, that you the models don't project them to win, that they don't expect. And so it, you can count it as a trade-off of the of the surprising loss to the Knicks. And so each one of these, they're now, in terms of the win column, they're now a game ahead of the Hornets. They're tied with the Pistons. And the, so the Pistons and Magic are tied in terms of wins for that spot. I guess I should focus on losses and the Magic are behind those teams there. But I, I think they're playing pretty well. I mean, they've been number one in defense. I think number one or number two in defense since January 1st. And there were lots of those elements in play in this game. Yeah, the Magic had a blow last night as Miami unexpectedly beat the Warriors. Then they're down 13 in the fourth. Miami led by 21 points in the third quarter in Houston again that they weren't supposed to win. And then those results flipped. So the Heat now down to 19% playoff odds, 71% for the Magic, which again, I mean, they were looking like they were just about done not three, four weeks ago. Um, Can do some quick hitters here. Philly and OKC didn't focus in on this one as much just due to so many guys being out. Paul George sat with a, a sore shoulder. Jeremy Grant did have 23 points against his old team. Russell Westbrook struggled from the field, 23 points on 28 shooting possessions. Did have a good game, though, because he had a triple-double. And I thought the end of the game was really interesting. I mean, Tobias Harris had 32 points. I mean, he's been really efficient. A further 5 of 7 on three-pointers. He had to play 40 minutes in this one. Ben Simmons played 41. Uh, but they actually went to Jimmy Butler more at the end of the game. And he was able to close it out just enough. The Sixers were pretty much in control. Control Thunder tried a, a desperate rally, but well, we're never really I, able to get there. I, I mean, it, the, the Sixers were in control, but it's this type of thing. Remember last year around this time, we were talking about how I mean they were they had had so much trouble in the early Brett Brown years closing out games, and in this one they had a couple of weird turnovers. There was also a play Ben Simmons got a gigantic offensive rebound, and even though the Sixers were not in the bonus yet, he still passed the ball away like <laughs> it had smallpox. And it, it, I mean, Russ tipped it away, but I mean, there were like, there was like four seconds left if he just dribbles that out. And uh, it's very, it's likely that he didn't realize that they weren't in the bonus. I, I never criticize a player for that type of a thing in the heat of the moment. It's just like, get the, get the damn ball, you know, when he did that. But I mean, there, there are guys on this team that don't want to take those free throws. They had a couple of really bad turnovers. OKC, obviously they're going to keep trying. They have a lot, a lot of guys who can, who can force turnovers and force miscues. And yeah, I mean, Philly had this game under control and it got closer than it should have. And they still ended up winning and that and that's good. And, you know, it still counts as a line drive in the box score. But, you know, those types of things, they do linger with you a little bit because we know how good the teams they're going to play in the later rounds are. And so some of these games are going to be decided by late game execution. 
you know, the Sixers will have a more full complement of players, but you have to actually do it. Yeah, we mentioned the Sixers backup center problems. Jonah Bolden was good in this one, 14 points on six of seven, made his three-pointers. I mean, that's going to be a, a big part for him, plus nine. They closed it with Mike Scott, though, and Scott was able to hit a key three-pointer to put the game away in the last minute or so in a pick and pop where OKC totally miscommunicated it and left him wide open. Interesting that uh, Jonathan Simmons did not play at all. They played Amir Johnson 14 minutes, uh, but and obviously played Scott some as a backup center as well, about 14 minutes. JJ Redick continues to struggle with Embiid out. You know, that handoff game with Embiid is a big part of Redick getting open. He struggled to three out of 13. And that's about all I've got on this one without Paul George playing. I guess the Sixers got only their second ever win over OKC and their first since 2008. I guess that's pretty noteworthy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Th- I mean, despite like these teams playing some ridiculous like overtime classics in the what? Embiid era. Yeah, I mean, remember the the, the Paul George, Jimmy Butler game earlier this season where sure. it looked like Philly was going to win that game. And then I think Paul George got a four point play on Jimmy at Jimmy Butler's expense in the final like 10 seconds. Didn't they play a triple overtime game last year too? I believe they did. Yeah, that was the, that was the game when Russ and Russ and Joel Embiid had all their one of the games when they had all their stuff, and I think both of those guys ended up fouling out of that game if memory serves. In Houston, the Rockets completed a nasty comeback, thirty-five to twenty in the fourth quarter over Miami. James Harden, fifty-eight points, ten assists, four steals only had four turnovers which is remarkable given the usage and while he did tire a little bit late and took some bad threes he got the three-pointer working again we had speculated maybe that an injury had been bothering him but on the second night of a back-to-back no problems uh, for him Chris Paul uh, had a little bit more of a struggle on that second night of a back-to-back though he said oh I could play again tomorrow if I needed to the Heat did really well to begin with but then I wish they actually would have stuck with the zone that they played a little bit more because whenever they did didn't go to that Harden was just beating his man and just getting right to the rim and Adebayo Olenek those guys just were not able to provide enough help and the Heat lost despite another completely ridiculous three-point shooting performance 15 out of 28 from downtown but the Rockets countered with their own 41 percent three-point shooting and that was enough to where you know still I mean when Harden was just driving right down the lane for layups every time in the fourth quarter you know I think they could have brought some help and maybe just dealt with Houston having to shoot some threes but you know there's no great options with this Houston attack encouragingly for Miami Goran Dragic another really nice game with 21 points in 25 minutes he's wearing this big brace on that surgically repaired knee and he was actually kind of limping around a little bit after a layup attempt at transition but he did get to the foul line for eight of eight so hopefully he can give them something Dwayne Wade didn't have the magic tonight with 12 points on 15 shots zero free throw attempts and a lot of really ugly mid-rangers in crunch time which you know are not good shots regardless of whether he makes them you know he's at the point where you remember the makes a lot more than the misses but there are a lot of misses and you know this is a game that they really needed to win in the playoff race here something to file away this has been a familiar refrain for the dunked on basketball podcast mike d'antoni on the tail end of a back-to-back basically played a seven-man rotation and he pushed a lot of 
of the guys harder because P.J. Tucker was in foul trouble for a significant portion of this game. Yeah, and then he got ejected, actually. And then he got ejected, that's true. And so, I mean, Harden played 44, Capella 36, Chris Paul 34. And you can do that. I mean, like, but it's, I mean, it's going to be a lot of miles on the tires. The Rockets, depending on where they end up in the conference, could end up in a very challenging first round series. And so they're going to basically go straight into it. And they might not, I mean, we'll see how far they make it in. They might not have to do the endurance of like, okay, they have to be great in the Western Conference Finals too. But it's going to be a lot for Harden and everyone else to take on. In D'Antoni's defense, James Harden was in the midst of a 58-point night. Right, I mean, I think right. You're, and you're and Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon and Amon Shumpert are also b- both unavailable. So, I mean, right. that that exacerbated. That's why it was only a seven-man rotation instead of eight or nine. Yeah, and Kenneth Fareed also missed this with a left, left hip injury. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that Tucker got ejected at, at the nadir of the game for Houston in that third quarter. But you can also make the argument here that, and I think they also did the thing where, okay, we're down, let's leave our guys in, make a push, and if it doesn't work, then we can just sit everyone early and but the push actually did work in this case and you can't make the argument though that houston might be best off in the sixth seed to just be on the other side of the bracket from golden state probably not realistic for them to get up as high as three so if they're the sixth seed that's actually probably the best situation for them to be i mean they'd have a harder first round matchup probably you know against okc than say utah or portland but if you're talking about getting to a championship level although tillman fertita if they lose in the first round is uh he won't be happy <laughs> um did you want to talk a little bit about indiana minnesota before we go it wasn't a game i focused on very much but for the sake of completeness you know started <laughs> out with started out with carl anthony towns dropping 23 and 7 in the first quarter and ended up with 42 17 four assists in in 34 minutes though the the Timberwolves were outscored during the time he was on the floor Bojan Bogdanovic had a huge game including a big layup late 13 to 22 37 points it's also the leading free thrower for the Pacers and I liked you know there were some nice moments from TJ Leaf some nice moments from Corey Joseph and Leaf had to take on a larger larger role because Sabonis is out and Miles Turner unsurprisingly going against Carl Anthony Towns got in foul trouble so they needed more from him he did a nice job and they also needed some they needed some contributions from the bench late when Thaddeus Young fouled out and I thought that they played well overall and this is another first of all this is a huge hit for the already fading flickering chances for Minnesota of making the playoffs these last these last two games I mean they were in both of them if they could have won these uh, against the Pacers and Hawks, we might be seeing a, a little bit of a different tune for them. But yeah, yeah they, if, if they had won, if now. they had won both of those games, they'd have a better record than the Lakers, and they'd be basically tied with the Kings. But instead, now they're twenty nine and thirty three. Yeah, down to five percent playoff odds but yeah i mean towns has just been on an absolute tear he's been must must see tv less so andrew wiggins who uh basically clinched clinched the game for the pacers by goaltending a shot by bogdanovich when he had already gotten fouled uh he did actually have two block shots in this game but i was like now he decides to block a shot like when it's a clear goaltend and the guy's already gotten fouled uh didn't really seem that great And, and i mean i think we're probably just not talking enough about the season that bogdanovich is having i mean he's just has such a nice touch on those strong right-handed drives and good enough shooter that you really have to close out on him and 
he's really just had a spectacular season he's improved his defense far beyond where i thought he might be able to when he first signed in indiana and pacers needed to write the ship a little bit that they did so they've been missing sabonis uh, with that sprained ankle just so we have it out there for the season bogdanovich is averaging 17 points a game 15 per 61 true shooting on 21.4 usage and a part of one of the one of the best teams in the league especially when victor oladipo is healthy and the pacers are still three games ahead of the celtics in the loss column yeah i mean we keep expecting that to change but the the celtics lost four straight now right and and the celtics are only projected to finish one game ahead of the pacers at this point in time though certainly with a superior point differential all right we can wrap up here anything you want to talk about before we depart the piece i teased yesterday for the athletic on it relates to draft picks in summer league i'm thinking that's going to come out on friday so people should be able to get it and since this is the last podcast we'll do this week i will have a real gym radio at some point i still haven't ironed out exactly when it's going to come out but you can look for that that's a good reason to subscribe all right we'll be back on sunday night if you are going to be at the sloan conference i am actually giving a talk on fixing the charge did a little bit of interesting research there it's you know it's only about a 20 minute talk so it's not going to set the world on fire but hopefully can get the conversation started about something that we have railed on for many many years now on this show uh, and uh, present some options for reform and a little bit of data that, that hasn't been out there yet so hope you guys will get a chance to catch that i'm not sure whether it's eventually going to get posted on youtube or or how publicly it'll be available outside of being the conference but that's i think it's like two o'clock on saturday is when i'm going to be speaking so looking forward to that this sloan conference is actually i attended my first one seven years ago now and that was really kind of the start of my career so uh really excited to be invited to speak there i can't wait talk to y'all on sunday night till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.